After five decades of absolutely nothing and no Stanley Cup final appearances for nearly as long, the St. Louis Blues are NHL champions for the first time ever, and they took the long route up the mountain to do it. We look back at their fairy tale season and debate whether or not they can do it all again next year. Of course, the Boston Bruins put up an admirable fight. They came within a win of the fabled mug, so we break down their odds of returning to glory as well. In the meantime, time we might have some big free agency news with the sharks the islanders make another key signing a pair of metro division rivals make an interesting one for one swap and tons more episode 176 of the lace them up podcast starts right now It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I am Brett Duboff. A somewhat still dejected Brett Duboff, and I don't blame him. His, his team lost a tough one on Wednesday, but this trivia question will make you feel a little better, Brett. We're not delving into the Hockey Hall of Fame book of trivia this week. We're we're, we're going for a Pity Bruins question. Oh. Uh, here here, here it goes. I guess. <laughs> here, here, here we go. This is this a surprise? So, so right. this is from Twitter. You probably know the answer to this. The Blues snapped a 52-year drought, the longest active drought in NHL history without a Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. Who's the holder of the record now? Actually, you did tell me this. <laughs> you know, you know, so. um, it's a layup, man. It's a layup. Yeah, Toronto Maple Leafs. Ding, um, ding, ding. It's Toronto. Right, They're right. all alone in Miseryville. Yep. The Leafs are the long, have, have gone the longest without winning a Stanley Cup. They're no longer tied with the Blues. It's only them. So I, Bruins yep. fans can point and laugh at them some more. Um, they've knocked them out of the first round in many a game sevens. And now they can have this to hang on the Leafs hat. But, uh, yeah, I figured, I figured the Bruins fans – could use that to cheer them up a bit. Um, and Toronto, well, they're out celebrating the Raptors parade. They're not even caring about the Leafs right now. So I think uh, I think I yeah. think everyone's somewhat good. Well, I mean, I think the well, the Toronto fans are still thinking about the Leafs. That's uh... well, yeah, just not right now because <laughs> uh, they're focusing on the team that won a title. Oh, I see. And, and rightfully so. Like. The, the Raptors NBA run was insane. Yep. The whole country got behind it. The city got behind it. It's a big win for, for Toronto, big win for Canada. And they get to use that parade route they haven't used for 52 years. True, so, true. you know, I guess I guess um, everyone wins something. Yep. I'll put it that way. Um, yeah, I guess that's that's uh, at least a one shining light on the Blues yeah. win. For me, um, also like also, you know, it's um, I always have a soft spot for teams that haven't won in a long time, just yeah. because I felt the same way uh, when the Red Sox first won their World Series in two thousand four. Yeah. Um, so there is that uh, shining light there, I guess. Um, and also, your Bruins won it in 2011 too, and you were alive for that. Yeah. Well, I, I'm. Yeah, that's true. I I was talking about like in terms of long waits for their. Well, yeah, stuff. true. 
Like longer than yeah. you've been alive. Yeah. I, I will say right. though that this is the blue. The only difference between the Blues and the Maple Leafs though is that the Blues. This is their first cup for the Blues, even though they've been yeah. in existence for the past fifty or so years. Whereas the Leafs, you know, have been around for a lot longer than that, obviously. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 a little different. Um, I think the Sharks are the uh, oldest team. T- like to never win a cup uh now um you mean the longest non-original six team yeah that sounds yeah um even though like the golden they were the golden seals back in the day so if you include that franchise history with the sharks uh because the golden seals didn't win a cup um i believe believe if i'm not mistaken the blues are the last original um uh 1967 expansions team still in existence to hoist the Stanley Cup because oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the Flyers won it, the Penguins won it, or no, uh, no, Vancouver wasn't a part of that. So I, I yeah, I yeah, no, bad. you're right. Um, okay, yeah, it's either right. Well, the golden the Golden Seals were a part of it. So if you do count, oh, I see what you mean. Only in existence. Yeah, I guess that would work. Actually, the Sabers and Canucks have been around for a while too, so I think they've had a longer wait than the Sharks as well. Like they've been to a few Cup finals, right. but they've never won it either. Well, I I guess I, I was just counting the Golden Seals as a part right. of the Sharks oh, yeah. free franchise history. But yeah, yeah if okay. you yeah, if you count the Saber, yeah, if you, if you can if you don't count that, then yeah, I think yeah. there's a couple teams that yeah. have uh, waited longer. Um, ne- needless to say, the Blues have waited a long time for this, sure. and they finally yeah, yeah, yeah. got it for sure. Um, also, shout out to um, Barclay, the dog. I think yeah. he changed the season. Um, he's the cutest dog I think I've ever seen. So yeah, um, probably and, the cutest story for me would be Layla Anderson yeah, and that. the the battle the battle she's had to wage. Like she's had a lot of health hurdles, and she's only eleven. Yep. And just the way that. The team they were kind she, of rallied, she around rallied around this team and the way the team really rallied around her is is an awesome story that that the headlines really love to yeah promote but like just as a fan like that really warms your heart the the way she was involved in the parade yeah. the way that the team involved her like she was invited to game seven in boston like a franchise changing moment she was there to witness in person she was on the ice celebrating with the team um, that's that's one heck of a feel good story, and uh, I yeah. really feel happy for Layla and, and and all the Blues fans that have waited oh, yeah, yeah, longer course. than she has for this moment too. Uh, yeah, I was going to mention Layla Anderson as well for you know it seemed like the team was rallying around her and all that stuff. So it's always a feel good story for that. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, let's do a game seven recap here. Um, and then we'll get into the nitty gritty stuff of uh, what exactly happened and all that stuff. Um, yeah. The so the first period um, it starts off with Ryan O'Reilly. He scores. Um, apparently, this is Ryan O'Reilly. Ryan O'Reilly is the first person, um, or not the first person. I guess the first person since Wayne Gretzky to score. Uh, three time uh in four straight Stanley Cup Finals games yeah. since Gretzky, um, when he last did it, I think in the eighties. It was um, so 85, eighty-five specifically when Gretzky so, did it. Yeah. So already impressive considering that. Mm-hmm. Um, Alex, Pitt, and then the second goal, which is a little bit controver- 
controversial only in the sense that um, the Bruins messed up, but yeah. um, and it was the last two. It was the last like it was scored in the last couple of minutes in the first period, which kind well, of well specifically uh, it, there was eight seconds left in the oh, period. Like, yeah, and it. I would say that it was responsible for like uh, changing the whole game. Oh, I mean, yeah. obviously. Obviously, because it's like a two nothing game then, but like it just like the Bruins had about like twenty shots at that point. The Blues only had four shots at that point. Um, I think it was twelve to four, but yeah, yeah. The, the the shots were definitely lopsided, and and yeah. a lot of the shots that the Bruins had were highlight real chances, and Bennington was stopping everything. Right, right. Um, and then Brad Marchand, uh, the big thing that everyone's talking about, um is that Brad Marchand, like, just beforehand, Brad Marchand has this line change um, mm -hmm. that he probably could he could have just waited eight more seconds, and if he had waited eight more seconds, um, he the goal may not have happened. We're not entirely sure if that's true, but uh, Brad Marchand did go off the ice to the bench, um, and uh, Peter Angelo starts to pinch um and scores uh that way it was a nice goal too but um it was definitely deflating for the bruins um yeah uh because especially because it's like you know when you think about like i just remember thinking like okay so one nothing isn't that bad going into the next period we you know we can tie it up in the second period and then all of a sudden, when like you're like, oh, now it's two nothing, and you're like, oh, how are we gonna come back from two nothing, even though it's just one more goal that they have to score? Um, yeah. So it's, it's it's just like psychologically, it's it's a weird thing. Um, but yeah, so Brad Marchand gets off, he messes up. Um, that's another thing that's kind of crazy. By the way, uh, Brad Marchand's like I like he had like this ski max mask and he had his shirt off at some like Bruins party um like the other day it's just like you haven't even you you didn't win it's it doesn't make sense to me why he uh why he's celebrating right now it's just like whatever um <laughs> I, I'm trying to control my anger here as if you if you can't tell but no yeah no <laughs> it's it's, uh, it's not an easy feeling yeah. uh, if you're wondering what what Marshawn said at the end of the game, he um, he was asked about that two nothing goal, mm -hmm. and his exact quote was, "I don't know. They chipped it in. I thought that Schwartz was by himself, so I went for a change, and a couple more guys jumped up. I didn't see the replay. Well, yeah. I I kind of see on the replay, and and I just watched the replay a couple of times, so like I don't get a full visual representation of the replay itself. Like I didn't break it down like ten or twenty times, but I saw it a couple of times." It looks like he's motioning to the bench first before Schwartz goes by him. Like, he, he seems like he's tired. And then he just gives Schwartz a little nudge, maybe hoping that would stop him, but it doesn't. Schwartz carries on with with the puck, and Marshawn's no longer there, so then he goes to the bench. So maybe he's gassed on the play. It's just an awful time for yeah. that to happen. And in yeah. a Game 7 of a Stanley Cup Final, Sometimes it's that extra jolt of energy that you really need to put you over the top. And 
I, I thought the Bruins played well. They certainly didn't play bad. I mean, they finished with 39 shots in the game. They had a stellar yeah. first period. They had a lot of good chances in the first. They had a lot of good chances in the third to make it close. But just that extra jolt of energy that they needed to, like, outwork the Blues and, and finally solve Bennington, they didn't have that, and the Blues did. And, yeah. and that's something that I think that kind of separated the two teams a little bit. Yeah, I don't want it to, like, be, I guess it's more, I mean, obviously it's one of those things that's, like, a hypothetical. It's just like we were talking about last week. It's like, um, you know, it may not have been the difference, but um, it was a key part of it. But mm -hmm. at the same... And, and just the timing of it all, too, because, like, like you said, like one, going into the dressing room one nothing, that's a different story from two nothing. Yeah. But it's the fact that it happened eight seconds left. The crowd is taken out of it. Yeah. And then like not even ten seconds after that goal goes in, you go to the dressing room with that still lingering in your memory. The other team spilling blood and just like, oh crap, what do we do? So right. I, I think I think it's that psychological element, the timing of that goal to happen, uh, especially when it was the fourth shot of the period and two of them go by Rask. Right. I think that really kind of adds to it too. It's just the shock factor of well, the situation. Well, there's that. I was just like, I mean, I think it's just more the fact that it's like it's eight seconds of your time. Like, sure, it may not have made a difference or whatever, but like Brad Marchand sh like, shouldn't have done that line change if it's like, it's just eight seconds of your you know, did he really have to Go, like I understand you're tired and all that stuff and we figured out that he was battling a lot of injuries but at the same time it's just it doesn't make sense to just request a line change at the worst time when yeah. the blues have the puck and all that stuff so it, it's it's just like it's only eight seconds of your of your time if, if you just were on the ice for eight seconds more you may have been able to stop that. So, yeah, it, you know. I, I think it, it, it the criticism towards Marshawn is heightened yeah. because he's a 100-point scorer, not a fourth-line guy. Everyone yeah. expects him to make that well, play. Well, Everyone expects him to finish his shift, just like Bergeron would. Even yeah. even if he's tired, the guy is always working hard. Well, we'll get um, to that in so a second. I, I think the, 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 the stature of his play, where it needs to be, it, the fact that it wasn't there on that play – I think that's why people are being more yeah. critical of Marshawn because they expect better. They expect the 100-point yeah. guy. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, and also, I mean, we'll get into it in a second, but they were battling a little bit of injury, so I will yeah. take it well, a little lot, bit yeah. easy on them for that, but at the same time, it just seems so, like, you know, just in that moment, it doesn't make sense. Like, you know how I feel about playing injured and all that stuff, yeah. but... Uh, but if you're going to play injured, you should at least give it your all still. So it, it's just mm -hmm. all annoying for me. Uh, second period, like I mentioned, I was, I just remember thinking the entire time where I was just like, all right, we just need to get one goal and maybe we can get, we can tie it up in the third. Um, just need one goal. Didn't, the Bruins didn't get a one goal. Uh, the Blues were like kind of doing like the trap here, um, in the second period, they were playing like prevent defense, where they were doing the old like one-two-one defense, um, or one-three-one defense that Guy Boucher does. Um, but like it was, it was very hard to get by at that point because um, 
because the Blues defensemen are huge players, and there were just, you know, the Bruins uh, didn't um, didn't help matters that much. It didn't seem like there was a ton of chances in the second period, or in the third period, even. Um, third period, Braden Shen scores, um, and Zach Stanford scores, so it's 4 nothing At this point, I'm just like, alright, I guess this game's over, but Matt Grizzlick scores um, to make it 4-1, just so it's not you know, I just didn't want it to be a shutout, so I was happy about that, but at the same time, I was just like, I had already accepted that the Blues won. Um, and, and, and what people get as well is that there was a key point in the third period where it's 2 nothing, and the Bruins have a chance right in the slot yep. with, with Bennington outstretched, and Bennington gets his pad on it. I can't remember if it was Marshawn or or who he denied of that chance. If that goes in, it's a two-to-one hockey yeah. game, and the score looks a lot different. And wouldn't you know it, a few minutes after that, boom, 3 nothing. And you mm. look at the two boards goals, again, hardworking plays. Tarasenko does all the work around the boards, gives it to Perron, who beats Rask right away. And yep. then you look at Perron, who has a great individual effort, feeds Sanford for the 4 nothing tally. Like, all of these are hardworking plays at key points of the hockey game. And... Again, sometimes the team with the most shots doesn't win the game, and sometimes it's because sometimes it's because in the key moments the other team gets the quality shot they need and they yep. take advantage. Of it. And that was one of those nights. It wasn't that Tukaras was particularly bad. It's just that Jordan Bennington was one step ahead of him when he had to be, yep. and a lot of the Blues players in the key moments just outworked the Bruins. Yeah, no, I was about to mention that Jordan Bennington had 30, uh, 32 saves. Uh, it was actually 38 saves on 39 shots, which is even more impressive, but yeah. Um, I actually have here that the Bruins had 33 shots. No, they had more than that. I'm looking here that they had 33 shots. Oh, really? Yep. Okay. Um, well, in, in any event, Jordan yep. Bennington made 30-plus saves and almost got the shutout. So there yeah, you yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean it. It, uh, it is a weird thing to stick to, but I yeah. I no. think I'm I'm remembering more of his game five stats, which is another game that Bennington uh, had the Bruins number. But anyways, uh, I mean the refs had hit the Bruins number, but yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, sorry to invoke even more pain. Um, yeah, no. The thing with Bennington, which this series was that there was yeah, there was definitely times in game five, game seven, where he was impressive. But then in game six, game four, uh, game three, um, even game one, um, game two even, like, he wasn't necessarily impressive. He gave up five goals. He was taken out in game three. Um, you know, he was also, um, game game six, he was, uh, he gave up four goals. He wasn't yeah. that impressive. Um, so... Uh, he gave up five goals in uh, game three, so it's like, you know, the interesting thing is, is if it wasn't for game five and game, I mean, if it wasn't for game three and game six, I think the Con Smythe would have gone to Jordan Bennington, but um, but it, it made sense that he wasn't picked. Um, instead, Ryan O'Reilly was the uh, the Con Smythe guy. Um, the interesting thing about uh, Ryan O'Reilly um, is that he had a cracked rib um, 
in the uh, in the second round of the playoffs against Dallas, which is uh, I'm just looking at his stats here. He still did pretty well against Dallas. Um, he had like four assists um, in that series or five assists, sorry, uh, but um, but he still had a crack ribbed during that period. I think people like I was. I saw a couple of reports that like people like suspected that he was injured during that second round as well. So all the credit to him for for that. Um, and I think like the whole like you know scoring f- in four the last four games of the Stanley Cup Finals that definitely solidified his uh, mark here. I thought Tuga Rask uh, would have won. The Smythe, even if they the Blues won, um, but it's also like you know if the game seven wasn't that bad, like if if it, the I score think was if it like goes to like overtime and he makes a yeah, save or if it's know. like a one nothing game or two nothing yeah. game even, um, then I think there you know Tuka Rask would have gotten it in the losing effort, but. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like just the fact that even Ryan O'Reilly had this record. It's, um, it's one of those things that's like, all right, I could, I could get angry about it, but at the same time, it, it you know, Ryan O'Reilly deserves it. Um, which takes me to my next point. Um, first off, before I get into the injuries, and I, I don't want it to seem like this is all sour grapes for me. I do, I do want to credit the Blues. They were the better team. Um, I mean, at times, you know, it was it was a pretty even series for the most part, of course, because it went to seven. That's that's typically what happens when uh, series go to seven, where like both teams kind of have the momentum um, at different times of the game uh, of the series. But the Blues, especially during Game Seven, uh, they um, they looked very, um, you know, obviously it's it's very impressive the fact that they even went to, uh, you know, they were the worst team in uh, in January uh, from, you know, from October to January. Um, so the first half of the season and then they just picked it up. And um, so I don't think we'll ever see a team like that where they're like, literally the worst team in the middle of the season and then all of a sudden they win the Stanley Cup final they they win the Stanley Cup um I I just it just seems so hard nowadays um you know I think it's a credit to Craig Berube for being the interim man uh coach it's funny that he's still not officially the coach now I I wonder if um he I don't know uh, he may not get be the official coach now um, but, uh, uh, Doug Armstrong uh, says, uh, "Yeah, he's 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 gonna yeah. be the guy. Once the playoffs are over, he's gonna be the guy." So Craig yeah. Berube staying. No, he, no, he also said joking. that uh, Bennington is gonna get a pay raise, mm-hmm. which is easy to see when you look at the fact that he's not even making a million per year. So yeah, we'll we'll talk about the not we'll, to give him a pay raise. We'll talk about the Blues uh, off season in a bit, but um, yeah. yeah. So so kudos to um, Berube. Um, Ryan O'Reilly is like turned out to be like the trade of like. By the way, so now that we're in the off season, like the Ryan O'Reilly trade was crazy at the time because like they got like the Sabers got like Tage Thompson, um, 
I forget the other players that they got. I think they got a first round pick. One of them, Berglund was another. Berglund, yeah, like, there was, like, like, they didn't even get that much for him. I mean, obviously, they, you know, Jeff Skinner uh, turned out to be um, a great player for for the Sabres, but um, (laughs) I... I think they just, like, the Sabres expected Casey Middlestad to take the next step, and then they traded Ryan O'Reilly without, like, even thinking about that stuff. So they, you know, they just trade him to the Blues. Also, I think Ryan O'Reilly, like, mentioned last year that he was, like, um, like, he he was just... He kind of fell out of love with the game. He was tired of wanted to win so bad he was tired of losing yeah right right so it's just you know so but like you just think back to that trade where it's like fine like maybe they did have to trade him if because he was unhappy and that's probably not great for the locker room but at the same time it's just like you know ryan o'reilly just proved that he was like he's like a really good player um not i mean obviously even better than a really that's like an understatement but like he's um so it's it's just crazy to me that they even like they they could have gotten so much more from that trade um if they really needed had to um also jordan bennington as you mentioned uh good for him to uh do that um yeah there's a lot of players that i can mention but uh, congrats to them. I don't want to. I just don't want to discredit them before I get into the Bruins and and what they were yeah. dealing with. Um, speaking of which, <laughs> the Bruins. Uh, it turns out they had a lot of injuries. I remember I was telling Steve throughout this entire series, or that like the Bruins had to have these injuries, and um, like I remember I was talking about like. Specifically, I'm not. I had never been more convinced that Bergeron and uh, Marchand are playing hurt. Oh well, I said I would. I've never been more. I mean, I, Bergeron ended up being hurt, but I was saying that Marchand and Pasternak had to be injured, and they were. They were. Um, well, yeah, I remember yeah. Pasternak had that hand injury um, yep. in February. So right. No, no, but like I was convinced that Pasternak was injured. Marchand. I was convinced that Marshawn was injured. I wasn't sure what was going on with everyone else, but it turns out everyone else was also injured too. Um, so I have a full list here of all the injuries that the Bruins were dealing with. Uh, let's start with the top, uh, Zidane Chara. He had, um, so we, we knew that he had a broken jaw, but we didn't know how serious this was. He had multiple jaw fractures broken on both sides of his face. So not just his right side or his left side, both sides. Um, he also broke it in two places on the right side. So that's like three altogether, two plates, screws and wires holding it together. Um, I guess the recovery is five to six weeks. So maybe he'll be, I, I would assume he'll be back next season, obviously. But um, he also had a lower body injury too, which was unspecified. Uh, Bergeron, and a reminder... He played game five, game six, and game seven with that jaw. He yep. played three games. Three games. Yeah, I. It was. it's one of those things where, like, you know, you would think from a doctor's standpoint, like, you're like, you know, it's like, hey, you have a broken jaw. 
I thought it was just like, you know, that's just crazy. But to say that you like, not just, he didn't just have a broken jaw, but he had like, like, like he could barely speak, um, is, is just like, it's just crazy that he was able to play. Uh, Bergeron had a groin injury. Um, he said that it was nagging, but surgery not needed to recover. Um, yeah, he had a groin injury, but will not need surgery, so that's good. Uh, another one that I'm kind of annoyed by, um, because I feel like they should at least take care of... Um, I mean, I guess I'm annoyed by all of these, just because it's just, you know, like, just t get these taken care of. I mean, obviously, it's great that we went to the Stanley Cup Finals with all these injuries, but at the same time, it's just like, what are, what are we doing? Um, Jake DeBrusque... Um, he had a concussion. I think we suspected that because in the first, um, you know, Nazem Kadri concussed Jake DeBrusque, and Jake DeBrusque was never really the same after that. So he was playing with a concussion for like two months, which is extremely dangerous. Or, or the, I, don't yeah. know if, I don't know if the, playing with a concussion is the right word, but he was, he was still feeling the effect still feeling the effects of that hit that uh, Kadri gave him. Well, it says here that he was, it was a concussion. Um, okay. And, you know... He clearly, wasn't, he clearly wasn't right, though. Right, of course. And But, like, it comes to a point where it's like... Right, obviously, Kadri's a, a POS. But, <laughs> like, the... You know, like, that's, that's even more dangerous to play while you have a concussion. So, like, he was playing... Yeah. He was, like, further, like, he could end his career, potentially, if he was, like, hit even once more in the head. And that's just, you know, I feel like the Bruins should get in trouble for that, because, like, he, he, like, that, like, they kind of circumvented the concussion protocol just by not disclosing that he officially had a concussion. Like, they did it for Matt Grizzlick when he had his concussion, but... They didn't say that Jake DeBrus has a concussion. He somehow passes concussion protocol when, you know, that that makes no sense to me. Uh, Brad, Brad Marchand, whatever, but Brad Marchand has a groin injury, uh, an abdominal injury, and a sprained hand. Um, so that's impressive that he was able to play, but uh, obviously he wasn't 100%. I... Everyone could tell. I think there was a point, like, the scrimmage just before the Stanley Cup Finals, like, it seemed like Brad Marchand was injured. Apparently that played a part into it, but it looks like it, it wasn't just that scrimmage, but it looks like he was just injured overall. Um, where So it's impressive that he had all those injuries and playing with that, but still, so it's one of those things where it's just like, just get that taken care of, to, you know, whatever. Um, David Pasternak said that he re-aggravated his thumb injury that kept him out for the end of the last end of the season. Um, that was a big injury for him. Uh, Chris Wagner, I mean, at least he was gone, but uh, he, um, or at least he uh, took some time off. But he he suffered an arm and wrist injury um, in the Carolina series. Um, Chara, I just mentioned Matt Grizzlick had a concussion. We knew about that. Uh, John Moore had a broken humerus bone. Uh, four to eight months of recovery for him. Um, and then we go to Kevin Miller. Um, 
he didn't even appear in the playoffs, but he like we found out exactly how serious it was. He had um, he had a fractured kneecap and a refractured kneecap during rehab, um, and I believe he also like um, like basically he had to reconstruction not just his left. Oh, he had a broken hand, a fractured larynx in November. Um, a torn oblique in February, a broken kneecap in April, and broke the same kneecap in May. Um, so so he, he, was, he was basically a guy they were just sewing body parts on the entire Basically, season. yeah, yeah. He's, he's just like a, another human now at this point. <laughs> um, yeah, he broke his hand in October, by the way. So he was injured all year. Um, and, I mean, he didn't even play in the playoffs, so... Um, it's not that surprising, but it's still like a crazy thing. Um, other players that it seems like they're oh, there's rumored that McAvoy had foot, a foot, knee, lower body, but that's not unconfirmed. And Johansson may have had concussion symptoms, but that's also unconfirmed. Um, Achari, uh, with that, uh, broken, um, he fractured or broken sternum. He injured foot blocking shot in game seven. Um, but I mean that, and also he had that trip um, at the, at, in game five as well. Um, I think that's everyone, I covered everyone. Um, but that's a lot of players. Um, a lot of the key players, the top line, Chara, DeBrusque, who are big parts of our team. I guess Krejci wasn't injured, although he didn't play up to his standard. Um, yeah, it's weird also, too, because, like, I want to, like, I, you know, it's always been said, because the thing, the thing to, like, I don't want to blame the injury, all these injuries, um, just on the Bruins' loss, because... Um, I'm not sure if they would have won even if they were all a hundred percent healthy yeah. um, also like the blues I'm sh- like the blue uh, I'm sure the blues were less injured but I'd find it hard to believe that Ryan O'Reilly was the only guy who was playing with um, uh, injured um, during the the playoffs so um, I do want to reserve judgment until we hear more about the blues injuries um, so it, it's tough for me to fully blame injuries on that, but at the same time, it's like when you have Marshawn, Pasternak, Bergeron, uh, who were all guys who even got us to this point, um, they were all injured. Chara, um, you know, is like a life force. He's, he's the big dude in, in, uh, in charge. You know, he gets, he's injured. He's not hundred percent. Uh, DeBrusque has these concussion things. He was a big, like, part just for depth reasons. He was a big part of the Bruins. Um, you know, like, pretty much half our defense uh, was injured. It's just, you know, it's just, like, it's more of just, uh, like, what if these guys were even, like, 90% healthy? What would have happened in this series? And I feel like the Bruins would have had a better shot. Um, so it, it, it goes without saying that, like, you know, it's, it's tough to blame these guys because they were playing injured, but at the same time, it's just, like, it's just more, it adds to the disappointment I have with the team where I'm just like, uh, if only we were healthy, 
maybe we could have yeah. we could have won. But I don't want to s- speculate in like what ifs because I don't want to hundred percent say that we would have won if if all these guys were injured. But at the same time, it's just like these are all like key guys on our team, um, especially Marshawn and Posternak. But you know, it just it just seems so. I don't know. Yeah. there's there's a lot to take away from that obviously it sucks you know that you had to deal with the injuries but even then despite all these injuries the Bruins were one win away from the Stanley Cup title so they had the team to get it done and they had the character in the dressing room too Uh, McAvoy said after after game six described the horror of of this thing being taken away of this ride coming to yep. an end so abruptly and they they played a good game to force a game seven and just the way they were able to build around each other and feed off of each other um the chemistry of coil and johansson like you know they were no, they were probably just mid trades at the trade deadline but looking back you know they probably get him in the two wisest moves that don sweeney could have made on yep. deadline day it's true and Rask playing out of his mind. There's a lot as a Bruins fan to be proud of heading into um, the offseason. And yeah. they definitely showed a lot. They proved a lot of doubters wrong. And yeah, teams like Tampa Bay, teams like Washington getting knocked out definitely helped their cause. But they they still they still beat some pretty tough opponents. Like Toronto's no slouch. And they and Toronto was up three to two. They came back. Uh, from 3-2 down, won the final two games there to advance. Yep. They faced a tough Columbus team that kind of defied the odds a bit in round one and had a good roster, and, and Tuka Rass played some good hockey. And and mm. even though Carolina was kind of a dark horse going in, they're no slouch either. They proved a lot of people wrong too. Yep. And and this St. Louis team, you know, is pretty darn good too. So I, I definitely think, as a Bruins fan, there's a lot to be proud of moving forward. That being said, when I look at their cap situation in a couple of years, they're going to have some really yeah, interesting decisions to make. Yeah, so that takes us into our postmortem. Um, I, I remember right after um, the game ended, I was just trying to think of positives, just ways to keep me uh, in charge. I wrote... I wrote them down to you, so I'm just looking back at what I said. <laughs> so it is helpful in terms of like when I feel too disappointed about this team. Um, there's uh, so for a couple of stuff we've already mentioned, the fact that the, they lost to a team that hasn't won in their 50 plus years history, kind of like the 2004 Red Sox. So uh, good for them. Um, we won in 2011. Boston has been pretty lucky just in general. Uh, these past couple of years, so um, so there's that. Tugarask uh, was like any anyone who like doesn't believe that Tugarask is a good goalie, or even a great goalie, or even a clutch goalie. Um, you, I I can't take you seriously as a hockey fan if if you think that he cost us the cup. Um, just point blank, I I just uh, he was he was like are the the life savior he i don't even know if the bruins would have made it to the stanley cup finals without him um so so there's that uh you mentioned that sweeney uh made two pivotal moves in coil and and uh, marcus johansson 
so that was good as well. And then we also, you know, Cassidy kind of proved that he was a good coach. There was a couple of instances where I felt like he could have, um, he could have managed better. But at the same time, it's like just knowing all these injuries that he had to deal with and um, and all that stuff. But it's just impressive that he was able to do all that stuff. And then of course, you know, you give Mac guys like McAvoy, Grizzlick, DeBrusque. Um, all these guys um, experience which is going to come important um, in a, the next couple of years when like guys like Zidane Chara, uh, David Krejci, even Patrice Bergeron aren't going to be on the team so um, it, it's good for the for those guys to have experience in that regard. Um, yeah so speaking of the I guess we'll do a Bruins postmortem right now. Um, the uh, uh, yeah, it, it's there's not too many UFAs that are going to be uh, like in terms of big UFAs um, that the Bruins need to sign. Um, other than I feel like uh, just these playoffs, Marcus Johansson kind of proved that the Bruins, you know, he he is a good fit for the Bruins. He was um, one of the best like third line, second line guys. Um, for the Bruins in these playoffs, he was a couple of times he was like the best player for the Bruins at the same time. So the only thing about signing Marcus Johansson is that we don't have a ton of cap space. Um, so I'm not sure what's going to happen there. Um, also, Danton Heinen, Charlie McAvoy, and Brandon Carlo are all RFAs. So that's going to be the bigger issue. Um, in the long run, I pipe dream here I, I do want to reiterate that this is a pipe dream so that means that I don't think it's gonna happen uh, mostly because uh, you we'd have to Bruins would have to make a lot of cap dump moves to make this to even be able to afford this guy um, but my pipe dream is the Bruins should get uh, Artemi Panarin um, I feel like he would he would be the exact guy that the Bruins need because we've been looking for a winger um, for like a second line winger for a long time I don't hate Jake DeBrusque um, but you know if we if we had Brad Marchand and Panarin uh, that would be like the best two left wingers that um, on any team uh, we would be I mean I think we would be unstoppable if we had our tummy Panarin I just I don't see how we could be able to fit him um, I know that there were rumors that the, like the Bruins were trying to get Panarin for this cup run, but that never actually happened. So I do kind of wonder if um, maybe he, and I guess he might be going to Florida, but um, anyways, I just, I just want to throw it out there that um, I, the, I, I really want Panarin on this team. Um, yeah, uh, but then next year, um, after after this year, uh, the Charlie Coyle's a UFA, Chris Wagner, Joachim Nordstrom, and then you have Tori Krug, uh, which is the big one, uh, Kevin Miller, and Zidane Chara, who's going to be a UFA as well. Matt Grizzlick will be an RFA, um, and so will Jake DeBrusque as well. Um, yeah, just uh, so. just uh, uh, for the fans wondering what Krug is making, he's making a cap hit of five point two five yep. million. Uh, given the strides he's made offensively and defensively, if he continues to make those next year, probably going to take a lot more than that for the sure. Bruins to keep him, which kind of hurts. And 
th this is also why maybe getting Panarin is a bad idea because in two years from now, Tuka Rask and David Krejci will be UFAs. Bergeron, yeah, three years from now, Pasternak in four. The good news is Bacchus's contract will be off the books by then. So maybe they'll have some cap space to save there. But still, if, if they get Panarin, it's going to be tough to juggle the cap. If you're going to be right. giving McAvoy more money, if you're going to be giving DeBrusk yeah. and in a bit of a pay raise, and if you're going to keep Krug around. Yeah, no, yeah, for sure. I guess it, it, I, I say that as a as a pipe dream because I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I know the cap situation is going to be a tough thing to manage. I think you would, if you were going to do it, you would have to move either Krejci or Krug, um, even though they, ha so they would have to remove their no movement clause. Um, yeah. And I'm not necessarily sure if that's even a smart thing to do, but I I I'm I'm just gonna say that I would want um one of those uh I would want Panarin on the team, but I mean at the same time it's like if you're getting rid of your second line center in Krejci, then it's like why even like you don't even have a you know you don't even have another you don't even have a third line center so it, um it wouldn't make sense to trade Krejci and Krug of course is like a huge power play person. Um, although McAvoy has turned into like a, a pretty good defenseman, so I feel like he would be able to be a good power play specialist if Krug were to leave the team. But at the same time, I feel like uh, Krug, like Krug, the kind of player that Krug is, is uh, hard to come by. So um, he would be tough to replace. Um, but yeah, um, also like just just from your mentioning all that, like all the cap stuff situations that we have, it just, um, I don't know. Um, I don't know if the Bruins are like, I like to think that the Bruins could make, uh, like make it to the Stanley cup finals again, but, um, I feel like it's just tough. Um, it's so hard to get back there at the same time. Um, I mean, they were fortunate that the light, they, they never had to really deal with the lightning or uh, the flames um, and or the capitals even. So um, they, were, they were in a fortunate situation this season. So I feel mm -hmm. like they like when we look back a couple of years from now where we're like, oh, the Bruins actually missed their chance. Um, and that's what I that's really why I'm more depressed is I don't know. Yeah. Like, you know, it's. It's not guaranteed that the Bruins will be back, and that's where I get a little, just just more dejected than anything. Where I'm like, yeah, like you know, all these people have been trying to cheer me up this this week, where they're saying like they'll be back, they'll be back, and I'm just like, I don't even know if they'll they'll be back. It's so hard to win in this league, um, especially so it's just like just coming like one game short, despite all of this stuff, is just just frustrating. Um, to say the least. So um, yeah, I I kind yeah. of I was in tears after the Sens lost in 07 Anaheim. I think I've told this story before, and I was adamant that the Sen like I was adamant that I wasn't sure if the Sens were going to make it back, and that's why I was so sad because it takes a lot to get to the Stanley Cup Finals unless you're unless you're the freaking Golden State Warriors where it's in your genetic genes yep. to win every year to go to the well, finals every year. year. It's not that easy. And 
you're right. The Bruins route is going to be hella tough because you have the Tampa Bay Lightning who are probably going to be more motivated than ever to learn from this season. You might have the Panthers that could get some key pieces like Panarin and Bobrovsky. Yep. What if the Habs start to get good? What if the Sabres learn how to win? God forbid if the Leafs actually win a playoff series. <laughs> right, right. So I, I definitely, I definitely understand why, why you're upset in that regard because it's one thing to have a good team; it's another to have a good team and have two or three or four good teams that are just as good as you playing yeah. in the same division, and you have to go through probably not one but two of them just to make it back to the conference finals who you know you might get a quality opponent then so right and also definitely understand your frustration in in that regard because it's not gonna be an easy road back and also like you know Chara's 40 41 years old at the moment Bergeron if he's not 42 he will be soon but yeah oh I thought I I may oh yeah no well he oh yeah he's 42 even yeah. even more so. Bergeron's thirty three, Krejci's thirty three, Brad Marchand's thirty one. You yeah. know, it's like, uh, like, especially Bergeron and Chara. Those guys are gonna be tough to replace. Um, yeah. and they may not be as. I mean, Chara's not as good as he once was, but even still, he's you know he's a big part of our team. You know, so those guys are gonna be like you know, they're not gonna be as effective as they once were. So it's like, you know, the window is closing for the Bruins. Um, and I mean, that's another reason why I want Panarin is cause he's a young guy. Um, and I feel like, I mean, of course you, you still have Pasternak, Debrus, McAvoy, um, even Heinen, you know, we have Jackson Nika in the, in the pipeline. He could mm-hmm. be good, but, um, you know, at the same time, it's just like a lot of our core players are getting older, and that's that's really the fear that I have. Is like, well, I don't know if we'll make it to the Stanley Cup Finals with this core, and and it's it might take a while for for them to be back if if yeah. they don't if they don't they win next season. Six years since the last time they were there. Yeah, it's true. I mean, and it, it's interesting too because like in twenty thirteen. I wasn't this depressed about the Bruins. Um, it was more because, like, I was just I was just happy that we were able to come back and beat the Leafs in the first round, where like everything else was just gravy. And also, like, the Blackhawks were the better team uh, by far in that in that whole season. So I was just like, all right, if you're going to lose, then you have to lose to the Blackhawks. Whereas, like this, yeah, the Blues. Um, you know, our great story and, and all that stuff. But like, at the same time, I feel like this team was definitely beatable. Um, <laughs> so, so that's where I get like, of the two Stanley cup finals that the Bruins lost it it seems like, you know, this, this one hurts mo- way more, uh, just because I feel like the Bruins could have won, um, uh, like had a better chance of winning this game, and I, and and like I mentioned, I'm not sure um, if the Bruins will be back. And, and whereas, like after 2013, you're like you couldn't make a case where it's like, all right, we have a couple of seasons. Um, yeah, true. So whereas, like this time, where you're like, 
I don't know how how long this core is going to last. Um, maybe a year, maybe another year. We'll see. But um, anyways, speaking of the blues, I enough, enough about me and my depression. Um, but uh, let's go to the blues here. Uh, yeah, you mentioned that. I guess the bigger news is that Jordan Bennington is going to be an RFA. Um, I'm going to be curious about that deal because, like, I I can't tell if because we've seen two instances of this in the past where like a goalie kind of like takes charge um like in the playoffs uh that's one in cam ward and another in matt murray um the differences between this and those other two is that like jordan bennington was the for sure starter whereas like matt murray i guess cam ward was kind of the starter um in carolina when he was a rookie but like you know it like um but they definitely made their mark in the playoffs and that affected their contract negotiations as well whereas like matt murray is like he won the next year after his rookie season um in the playoffs and then and then he was he, he was pretty good um, the next year, um, in the regular season, um, even though he was, you know, he had a tandem thing. He has some injuries this year, but he's more or less a pretty good goaltender. Um, Cam Ward kind of fell off, fell off completely after that cup win. Um, he was, he played out of his mind and then, um, the next couple of years he wasn't, he was never really the same. Um, I mean, he's still in the league, but he, we can admit that he's, he, he will never be back to what, uh, he once was. Um, so Jordan, so I'm not sure where Jordan Bennington will lie in that sense where like, do you take a risk and pay him like what Matt Murray got, or do you pay him what like Cam Ward got paid? Um, so there is that risk of paying for something and then. Bennington is kind of like a he had a fluke season um so that's where it's unclear and it should be interesting to see what happens with that yeah no question it's gonna be tough um because if you look at Cam Warden his regular season stats like they weren't blossoming like Bennington's was and like he had a tandem with Gerber Gerber lost the first two games in that Montreal series Cam Ward comes in then goes on a tear and the rest is history the canes won the stanley cup um, and haven't won it since yeah um and then he was a part of another lengthy run from with, with the canes in 09 but like he even then you know he, he was bouncing back up and down and even if you look at matt murray the past two seasons he's been bouncing up and down a bit and uh concussions have been an issue for him at times right. so true even too. with matt murray there's a bit of doubt yeah uh, when i look at jordan bennington though and I look at where this team was. The fact he was able to go from the AHL to the NHL and single-handedly kind of turn around the direction of a team. The fact he was able to bounce back so well from a loss, not just in the regular season, but in the playoffs. Um, I think he's just got that calm demeanor, composure, and at the same time, that intensity that a big gamer has. I think that maybe gives Doug Armstrong enough confidence to give him a significant pay raise. And when I talk about significant, I'm talking at least four to five million per year. 
Yeah. But we'll, we'll see what happens there. It's definitely a risk, I'm not going to lie, because yeah. anything can happen after one season, but it's certainly one impressive season. Taking a look at uh, some of their other situations. Yeah, I was going to get to that, but... Um, um, they, they have yeah. a Billy Huso, which is interesting because oh, Bennington yeah. was falling down the death chart so quickly, and he put yeah. up solid numbers in the AHL before his call-up. You look at Huso's stats in the AHL, they're not that good yeah. this year compared to last year. Yeah, so he was he was kind of supposed him. to be the goalie that was going to take – he was going to fill in what Jordan Bennington did um, and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, I – yeah, they do have him in the system. Oh, sorry. Uh, they they also have uh, some. They also have some roster guys uh, that are interesting RFAs. Yep. There's Barkashev, there's Fabry, there's Sanford who had a good Cup Finals. True. Uh, Sunquist, Blay, Edmondson as well. As far as UFAs, there's Maroon, Delzato, Gunnarsson, and Thorburn. So Maroon's probably the big one there. Um, RFAs in 2020, you got uh, Schmaltz and uh, Vince Dunn. Um, Vince so Dunn will get it. You're, you're not going to be hit there. But then you, UFA, uh, UFAs, oh, yeah, though, are going to be yeah, interesting though. in 2020 because you have Bowmeister, you have Braden Shen, and you have the captain, Alex Petrangelo. Yeah, that should be interesting next season. Um, it's kind of a similar situation for the Bruins because I feel like next season for the Blues is going to be the big one where they have a lot more guys to worry about. Whereas, like, this season, it's like, yeah, there's a couple of RFAs that they have to uh, deal with, but it's not too bad if they lose any of these guys. Um, yeah, the uh, but I think the bigger one is going to be Jordan Bennington. Uh, Patrick Maroon will probably get something. Um, I, I would be surprised if he goes somewhere else. Um, uh, he seemed to be a big part of their team. Uh, just from a like a leader standpoint, so um, there's that. Um, yeah, and Ivan Barbashev had a pretty good playoffs actually. Uh, Robbie Fabry is an interesting one because he, you know, he had his moments a couple seasons ago, but he's always been plagued by injuries. That it seems like um, maybe he'll be trade bait. That like I, I feel like he just needs a new a new scene somewhere. Um, where I feel like he could flourish if, if he's on another team. Um, but, like, maybe you could trade him. Um, it is. I just don't – and on the same end, I just don't think he'll ever be the same uh, because of how many injuries he's had. Because this is the second year where he's been – well, this is the first year where he's been fully healthy, but this is – like, he had two full years where he was – he missed a lot of time. Um, so – it's, it's going to be unclear if he, he'll ever be the same. Yeah, as to their Stanley Cup odds, um, their odds of making it oh, yeah. back, I, I don't know if they're that strong, and, and, I'll, and I'll tell you why. I mean, you look at a guy like Ryan O'Reilly, definitely a leader. His work ethic speaks for itself, and they were talking a lot about his work ethic and how much he means to the team off the ice uh, following uh, that Game 7 win. Um, he got 13 of 18 first place votes in the Consmite voting. So obviously the media understands how valuable he is to this team. But I think before the year started, maybe there are some pundits who thought this team could have done something. Like they had some interesting pieces in free agency to bolster the depth. They traded for Ryan O'Reilly. That was obviously a big move. In the early stages, their goaltending really hurt them. 
part of the reason why they were dead last on January 3rd to begin with. To go from that low point to almost winning their division, that's the thing I think people forget. They almost won the Central, despite their slow start. And then they get their first Stanley Cup title months after. After almost five decades of absolutely nothing. It's honestly documentary worthy. Like, you can't write a better script. Like, Jay Bomeister never won a Stanley Cup. Nobody on this roster yeah. did. They were running a goalie that almost got sent down to the ECHL. They had ex-Leafs like Steen and Bozak and Gunnarsson. They were so used to losing to the Bruins. Petrangelo, even as a, a kid in the OHL, didn't win any league titles. He didn't win a Memorial Cup. Pareko was good, but didn't win a cup. Perron was on that Vegas team that lost to Washington last year. Right. O'Reilly was just trying to be on a playoff team like Bomister was before joining the Blues. Yeah. As a player, Craig Berube never won it. As a coach, he never won it. The only guy on this roster, front office staff, that really had a taste of winning the cup was Larry Robinson, and this is the 10th time he's done that and as a player oh, yeah. and or coach. Like, and Brett Hull as well. Um, yeah, although on another well. team, yeah. I, like, only a fan who bet 100 bucks on the Blues before the season really believed in them. Layla yeah. Anderson believed in them. Nobody but Blues fans thought the Blues could do this. Yeah. But they believed in the cause. They fought for that. They loved each other. Nothing could get in the way of their mission. And you know what? You know what happened to a team similar to that? the Washington Capitals last year and what happened this year they got bounced in round one by the Carolina Hurricanes yeah and double over time so it's one thing when you are able to find that identity find that thing that makes you tick but it's immensely hard to follow it up and just with the competition that they're going to have with the changing landscape I don't know if their odds are good that they can repeat again next year. Maybe get into the playoffs, maybe win around, but get back to where they were this year. I don't honestly know. Who would have thought that Tyler Bozak and Phil Kessel would have won a cup before the uh, Maple Leafs do? <laughs> yeah, before their ex team. Yeah. Um, but and, and what's, yeah. what's interesting about about this Blues run, by the way. They beat the Bruins in TD Garden three straight games, and ten yeah. of their sixteen wins came on the road. So, yeah. So the thing, the thing with the Blues is, and I think I said this in the season preview, um, like back way back when, obviously, um, was like, I like they had a we we were all sure that they had a pretty good roster. Like Petter Angelo, Pareko, um, are all pretty good players. Uh, you yeah. know, defensemen. Tarasenko, um, and then they recently got Ryan O'Reilly. Um, that could work. Braden Shen, Jaden Schwartz, and Tarasenko were like a huge, like a big line for them last year. Um, and then it, once you add Ryan O'Reilly, that just adds their depth. I think the only issue I had with the Blues was Jake Allen. And, yeah, I think both of us are the yeah, same. And, and now that they have Jordan Bennington alive, you know, alive, <laughs> now that they have Jordan Bennington, it just, like, shows, like, what a good goaltending, like, what a, an increase in goaltending can do to a team. Because uh, they were literally dead last um, in the league with Jake Allen in the mix. And now, like, once they made the change, they all of a sudden just started winning, and they were a good team. So um, so I think 
like the Blues are only as good as Jordan Bennington, and it's it's just it's just like I think I wouldn't be surprised. I I don't want to like doubt this team ever again. So the only the only, but I will say that the only thing that the like I could see the Blues repeating, but like Jordan Bennington has to be phenomenal for a full season, and that's um and that's easier said than done. Um yeah. so. Um, that's that's where it really lies in in terms of repeating. But I, I mean, they have a good team. They don't have too many like of their core players gone next year. But maybe next, like you know, as we mentioned, since Peter Angelo is going to be UFA, Braden Shen's going to be UFA. Um, they have Vince Dunn, who's going to want an extension already, even though he has another year left. Like you know. They may not. They this may be their last year with this team, so we'll see. And and they do have some interesting prospects yeah. like Alexei Torpchenko. He played yep. very good with the Gulf Storm. Jordan uh, Cairo. But like yep. I think the Robert odds of Thomas. him being ready and productive in the NHL are probably still two to four years away at least. Yeah, and uh, don't forget Jordan Cairo, Dominic Bach, yeah. uh, Robert Thomas had a couple of. Uh, games here but he's he's probably he i would imagine he's gonna be better uh next year as well so um yeah so they they have a a fair amount of players uh clem costin is another guy um so yeah they have that um all right let's go to the rapid fire here uh so this just happened but we um and it's not official yet but we wanted it to. We wanted to mention it because it's going to be old news by the next time we report it. Of course, we'll have more details when this happens. But according to Bob McKenzie and Pierre LeBrun, it looks like Eric Carlson is returning to San Jose. Um, it, it looks. It appears to be an eight-year, eleven million dollar contract, which is very similar to what Drew Doughty had. Uh, just looking at the, sh- I mean, we talked about this when the shark in the sharks postmortem, but now, um, so if they're signing Eric Carlson f- for eleven million, uh, they now have like, you know, they now have to sign LeBlanc, um, Joe Pavelski, uh, Gustav Nyquist, Joe Thornton, Timo Meyer, um, all like all within like you know they have less money now uh they don't have a ton of they have i guess um let's see projected cap currently projected cap space is 24 million 11 so you would so they have 13 million dollars to deal with now um if if you take Air Carlson's eleven million off the table. Yeah. So well, I, I said I said in my cap breakdown, Nyquist. I don't think they re-sign him anyway, so right. you can take him off. Of yeah. The, or yeah, he's resign less. I, I guess. I guess the bigger deal is Timo Meyer and Kevin LeBanc, but they are both RFA's, so they can kind of sign them to team-friendly deals, because um, mm. there's offer sheets aren't a thing anymore. Um, although, actually. Now that I mentioned that, off, like if there are, there they there could be a team that could offer yeah. sheet Timo Meyer. They, they could be offer sheet targets. Now that you mention it, like because yeah. they're not gonna have the price tag that a guy like Braden Point or Mitch Marner would have. Yeah, 
Well, I was about to mention, like, who would you rather have, Timo Meyer or Mitch Marner? I, I guess you would still want Mitch Marner. Um, I feel like it, I feel like if you're gonna offer sheet, you would do it for Mitch Marner. But yeah, yeah. If, I mean, I guess you could still cost like four first round picks. Yeah. I definitely take Marner, but I can't. And the the <laughs> odds of that being the return for Timo Meyer are very very slim. So obviously, the more affordable option, you still get a decent amount of skill. Timo yeah. Meyer would be a good offer sheet bet. Yeah, for sure. Although I, I feel like the the sharks would match it even if they were offer sheet because they're not like they're not like the least cap yeah. situation bad, but they're still pretty bad. Anyways, Eric Carlson, um, we we don't have the full details yet because it's not official yet. But what I I always say that if McKenzie or Elliot Friedman report it, then it's it's like ninety nine percent official. Uh, yeah. So, um, so on yeah. top of that, it'll be interesting to see how the signing bonus contract works because I I remember that being um, mm-hmm. potentially a key reason why Eric Carlson didn't sign an extension in Ottawa. I think the bonus money was kind of a roadblock there. So it'll be interesting to see what the Sharks give him. Um, but but yeah, it's it, it there are definitely pros and cons to a deal like this. So we'll break it down in a future episode. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. It's an interesting thing because I think I've mentioned this before with Carlson. It's like obviously he's a great player, but mm-hmm. he has to be like a hundred percent healthy. Uh, right. You know, and that it comes with the risk, and also like he's he's going to turn thirty. I'm not necessarily sure about all that stuff. I mean, and also you have like Brent Burns in the mix too. So I'm not. I'm never really sure how effective he's going to be. Both of them are going to be in the long term, so um, we'll see. Um, and that would probably affect their core down the road just to make it work. Yeah, yeah, for so. sure. Um, okay, I meant to look this up, but then I I never actually did because I was looking at other things. Uh, Jordan, let me see here. Jordan Eberle, he um, he had he resigned. Oh, here it is. Okay. Jordan Eberle signed, I'm just talking to myself here. Yeah. Jordan Eberle re-signed with the Islanders, uh, five years, 5.5 million annual average value. Um, it's not a bad deal. I think this is like kind of comparable to Jeff Skinner. Um, obviously it's less than Jeff Skinner, but, um, and Jordan Eberle is not the player that Jeff Skinner is, but in terms of like, their role on the team where they're just supposed to score goals um, and be like the the goal score the sniper for like Matt Barzal or Jack Eichel um, you know it's it's pretty equivalent uh, Jordan Emberley has kind of fallen off though um, or he just is inconsistent so um, I do kind of like that deal when you compare it to Jeff Skinner but at the same time it's just like um, it's, you know, we're not sure how much he's going to regress, um, in the coming future. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of mixed on this deal. Um, f- for starters, I will give the Islanders credit this, and then we'll give Jordan Everly credit to this. In his last deal, his AAV was six million. This is five point five. So he took five hundred K less a year just to stay with the Islanders. Yeah. So he, he definitely he definitely sacrificed a little bit to make this work. So full credit there. Should also be noted 
that he recorded a playoff point in eight of nine appearances last year. Game one versus Carolina was the only playoff game last year where he went pointless. So the fact that he had a strong playoff, especially against Pittsburgh, um, is good. Is a good sign, hopefully, that this um, transaction will work out in the Islanders' favor. So just a quick look at traditionally what Everly has done. Traditionally, this guy averages between 170 and 200 shots on goal per year. This past year, he had 160. So even lower than his average. His 19 goals last year were the lowest in a full NHL season since his rookie season when he had 18. Um, to his credit, though, five of his 19 goals were game winners. So he, he definitely made them count. Um, although he couldn't hit 40 points. That that kind of concerns me. Yep. Not even a 20 goals, not even a 40-point season. When you look traditionally what he's done outside of this year he had five straight 20 goal seasons before this past year as a soft and that doesn't include the 34 he scored as a sophomore with the oilers um he also spent a lot of time with barzell in 2017 2018 when barzell had an 80 point season and Everlay had 25 goals and close to 60 points traditionally 50 50 to 60 point guys what you're going to get out of jordan Everlay. That's usually a standard. When I took a look at his time on ice per game by season, as a rookie, it was 17.41 per game. That was fourth amongst Edmonton Oilers wingers. Penner, Hemsky, and Hall were above him in that regard. So it starts to go up. Actually, it went down by five seconds um, in 2011-2012 when he had his best season, when he had, I think it was 34 goals and 76 points. Um, for the next three seasons that followed, from 2012-2013 to 2014-15, he was in the 19-minute-per-game mark, and that was either first or second amongst Edmonton wingers. Then it's around 16, 17 minutes, give or take, um, in each of the past four seasons. And it was 16-32 per game this past year, third amongst Islanders wingers. The thing about Jordan Eberle is that I almost feel like he has to play around good talent in order for his numbers to be significantly good. Because, like I mentioned, when he was playing with Barzal, he was almost a 60-point guy. Um, so I, 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 kind of, I kind of feel like if you put him in a bigger role, he's definitely got a bigger chance to flourish. The question with Jordan Eberle is that, like I said, not even a 20-goal, 40-point season last year. Yeah. I'm kind of worried if he's kind of on the downward, though. Yep. Well, and that's what and I my hope is that the playoff performance that he put forth is a sign that is not the case, that he's actually getting a bit of his swagger back. So if he averages 30 goals and 50 to 55 points per year, I consider this a pretty good deal. The concern that I have with this deal is what it means for the rest of the team and also the added incentives on this. First of all, in his previous deal, he did not have a no-trade clause. He has a no-trade clause in years one and years two, and in three, four, and five, he's got a 16-team no-trade clause. Oh, that, that kind of wraps on that. On top of that, you look at some of the other guys that could be getting raises. Ryan Pulak is going to become an RFA after next year. Right now, he makes $2 million. 
Barzal didn't even make a million dollars this year, not even going to make a million dollars next year, but he's going to become an RFA a year from now. You still haven't paid Anders Lee and Robin Leonard. And in the meantime, you got Andrew Ladd for four more years at 5.5 million per year and Clutterbuck three more years with a cap hit of 3.5 million per year. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of biting my fingernails a little bit because you know, yeah, you keep Brock Nelson. Yeah. You keep Jordan Eberle, but the guys I'm sure a lot of New York Islanders fans are concerned about are Andrews Lee and Robin Leonard and both haven't been signed yet. So I'm kind of wondering, gee, maybe it's part of their plan of, okay, we'll keep these guys to show, Lee and Leonard that were willing to commit to this group that we have. We're going to keep the band together and we're going to pose the question to them. Do you want to be a part of this still? But maybe it's the other part of me is thinking maybe it's because they've accepted that Anders Lee and Robin Leonard are not part of the solutions and we're just going to keep everybody else and take our chances in free agency. So I, I don't know down the road how this is going to affect the Islanders. And it's just I guess there's a lot of unknowns to every contract. I feel like we say that a lot on this program, but yeah. I, I really think they're kind of rolling the dice. Even even if Everly is taking 500k less to play for the Islanders for another five years, I still think it's a bit of a risk. Yeah, just because I don't know what kind of an offensive player he's going to be year after year. Yeah, I think it it, it will be interesting to see in a couple of years if he's worth this much. But um, yeah, it seems like he. He's never been really the um, uh, he's never been like as good as we expected him to be. So like he hasn't been he hasn't been the offensive guy everyone turns to. Right, like, right. He can provide like some second line offense for sure, but like I don't think he's even gonna be considered to be on the top line. You you think of guys yeah. like Anders Lee and Brock Nelson and Matt Barzell. If yeah. you're looking for top line players on that. Well, I mean, in the, I'm just looking at his stats now. It's like in the years past, he's gotten like 25 goals, 25, 24 goals. Um, this year, he had eight, 19 goals. Uh, but it just, you know, it seems like he's. Um, so, yeah, he regressed this year, but um, he, it's not like he's not capable of more. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it'll be interesting. We'll see. We'll see. Um, the uh, Dallas Eakins, speaking of former Oils, Oilers, uh, Dallas Eakins um, is officially the Ducks head coach. I believe he was the Ducks uh, AHL uh, coach for the full season. Um, yes, yeah, so they just made it official that he's going to be the... I believe the San Diego Gulls were like a pretty good team in the AHL. So they're going to call him up here. Um, This will be his second stint um, in the league. Uh, The first one was, of course, in Edmonton, um, where I I feel like he was treated unfairly there. Um, We'll see how he goes the second time around. It kind of reminds me of, like, Mike Sullivan and Bruce Cassidy, where he's, like, he knows the minor league system, so he knows all the young guys. And now he's, you know, he's back up in the club and he gets, like, another shot at it. So it'll be interesting to see if he does it. The Ducks are an interesting team for sure because it's like, you know, they have, you know, John Gibson, Ricard Raquel, Andre Cache, a couple of young players, but, um, you know, Sam Steele, Troy Terry. Um, 
Max Jones, but like at the same time, you know, Corey Perry is old. Ryan Getzlaff is old. Um, they have a lot of old guys, so it's it's a, it's a weird mix for sure. But um, we'll see if um, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, you take a look at his AHL coaching record in eight seasons. He's he's got three hundred and thirty three wins, two hundred and nine regulation losses, mm. sixty four overtime shootout losses. So pretty interesting record combined with both the Marlies and Gulls, but in his lone NHL coaching gig with the Oilers, he was 36, 63, and 14. So you're kind of hoping it's just like, eh, it's the Edmonton Oilers, you know, their formula for success really hasn't been there. Maybe this is just an outlier and a second chance, you know, he could be the next Sullivan, the next Bruce Cassidy. Um, and you're right about coaching the young guys. He, he coached Troy Terry in the minors. He coached Sam Steele in the minors. Max Jones, Max Comtois is another guy too. Um, They have a lot of young pieces that are going to be a part of this team for many, many years. But you're right. The age of this team beyond that with Perry, with Getzlaff, with Kessler, who probably may never play again. Yep. That still concerns me and will probably hold them back. So I don't really know what to expect from the Ducks or I don't even know what Dallas Aikens can do with this roster because of the age and how quickly this team is aging even with all the young talent coming their way yep um yeah no i agree um all right uh we have a couple of trades to get to um i'm sure there'll be a couple more trades coming draft yeah is with, this with, with the draft I, I expect a couple of significant ones for sure um radko the first one radko gudis goes to washington for matt niskin who's going to philadelphia um this isn't like you know um both of these defensemen aren't high scorers um i feel like gudis is better though defensively speaking though Uh, matt niskin did have at one point have some offensive pedigree to him but it seems like that stopped this year he only had um 23 points um uh, 24 points um next uh this year and uh 25 points sorry um in 80 games whereas uh Gudas had 20 points in 77 games uh the thing that's um but like Gudas is obviously more physical um than that, which I find kind of interesting because now Washington has Tom Wilson and Gudez. Um, I guess I, I'm not necessarily sure why Philadelphia does this though, which is inter- I guess for cap relief. Um, but at the same time, it's like Matt Niskanen isn't good even for cap relief, so I don't know. It, it, like it's like it's not even that much of a cap relief because it's five million dollars uh, for Matt Niskanen, so I don't know. It's it's a it's a weird it's a weird move for the. I guess it's not even cap relief now that I'm looking at it because Gudis is making three million, and Matt Niskanen is making five million, and Gudis is the better player. So now I'm even more confused as to why Philadelphia did this. Yeah, so we'll, we'll take a look at uh, both perspectives. So, like you said, with Niskanen, his career high was 46 points, but that was set with the Pens back in 2013-14. Yep. That was a while ago. Yep. Uh, in each of the past two seasons, he hasn't even hit 30 points. 
Um, he did place third on the Capitals in his issue with 167. He was also in the top five in 2014-15, third the year after that, fourth the year after that. Um, and in 2015-16, he almost averaged 25 minutes per game, which was tops on the Capitals. A guy that can still play top four minutes, and, and one of the reasons why uh, Chuck Fletcher brought him in and one of the reasons uh, he made it clear to Matt Niskanen was, I want you to mentor the young defensemen that they have, uh... that we have in our system. And he does bring up an interesting point about Matt Niskanen there because I kind of I kind of think back more and more to the Senators getting Sergei Gonchar. I'm thinking, you know, may- like this is a veteran that maybe didn't really have the offensive gift that he had in his prime, but maybe was a guy that would kind of help young guys like Eric Carlson along and help them develop a little bit. And I think down the road, I think the presence of Sergey Gonchar definitely helped Eric Carlson help hone his offensive skills a little bit, maybe give him the confidence to be a better defenseman. And you look at the flyers right now, Shane Gosses bear might be the most polished of the group. But he's not too. much. He's not much older than guys like Robert Hay, guys like Bob Ivan Provorov or Travis Sanheim. Yeah. Where it's a guy like Niskanen is in his 30s. He's been in winning environments before with the Penguins and Capitals. He won a cup last year with Washington. Um, he might have a massive cap hit, but I think down the road, what the Flyers are really missing was that veteran presence on defense to help those young guys along because. They had Andrew McDonald. They put the guy on waivers, yep. and now they just bought him out. So it obviously can't be Andrew McDonald now, and it, I don't think it was to begin with. So I think the Flyers get, if anything, some veteran leadership, but I think that's the best of what they're getting. It should also be noted that he still has a 10-team no-trade clause and a $5.75 million cap hit for the next two years. So that's I, I get the cap issue uh, there. As a, as opposed to Washington, they're they're kind of getting a bit of a discount on top of that. Plus, the Flyers are still retaining thirty percent of Gudis's contract, so uh-huh. they're Washington is actually getting Ratko Gudis at a discount price. And if you look at the physicality, the level of physicality that Gudis brings over the past four seasons, this guy has been a monster. He's been a hit parade monster. He had three hundred and four hits in 2015-16, 280 the year after that, down to 170 in 2017-18, but this year, back up in the 250s, he had 255. Um, Hag finishing first in hits amongst Flyers defensemen and averaging fewer minutes than Gudis maybe made Gudis a little bit expendable, but Gudis is a guy that can quietly average 150 shots, at least 130 per year, and he can put up you know, a decent amount of points for a guy that's no more for his physicality. So the fact that they get a physical guy like Gudis that maybe takes a bit of pressure off of Tom Wilson of being the main physical guy, maybe allows him to play his game a bit more, maybe allows him to get some more points on the board, allows a guy like Nick Jensen to go up the, the Capitals depth chart. And he showed some promise in the short time that he played with Washington I think down the road, the Caps benefit more from this, mostly because A, they get more cap space to work with, and B, they're getting a physical defenseman that maybe makes everyone else's jobs easier. And C, um, 
it allows Nick Jensen to get more playing time because Scudis is not going to play more than Nick Jensen. Yeah, that's, that, I could see that happening. Although Gudis isn't that bad of a defenseman at all. Um, I know you, you have his, you have your problems with him, but yeah, I just don't really like him, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, but he is, I mean, at least you can admit that he's, he's still a good, good defense. He does bring value. He does bring value. I don't necessarily like the way he sometimes signs his work, but he does bring value. Um, I will say that it is, you did mention that Niskanen was on Pittsburgh and then he was on, he's, he was on Washington before. So it's interesting Mm -hmm. that this is his third team. Uh, in the same division um, in Philadelphia. Yeah, um, yeah if, if anything, the, the one thing that won't change is that the Pittsburgh Penguins are still going to hate Matt Niskanen and the Philadelphia Flyers, so. and, and they're still going to hate Ratko Gudis because they're basically just going from one arch rival to the next. Yep. Well, both of these they're guys, They're still going to yeah. have a level of hatred towards those two. Both of these guys, yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, I guess that's a good point about Matt Niskanen's veteran presence but still it seems like his his cap contract he's making five million a year so you're just yeah. you're signing a guy you're wasting like five million dollars off your cap just for just to get a vet uh, a mentor for all your defensemen it seems a little crazy to me um where i feel like you could find like a defense uh, like another veteran out there and with less money just to, just to play that role uh, more. So, I don't know. I guess it, it doesn't really make sense to me if I'm the Flyers, but I guess I can see it from, a, like, a mentorship standpoint. It still seems a little odd to me. Yeah, they're, they're going to be a very compelling team to watch the draft. Yeah. I feel like they're going to do something. Yeah, like, for sure. Not I even the big draft, but I think they're going to make a significant trade before the draft ends. Yep, for sure. Um, Oli Mata is going to Chicago for Dominic Cahoon, um, uh, who's going to Pittsburgh, obviously, in a fifth, a 2019 fifth. Um, this one is, uh, interesting on both ends because, uh, so Oli Mata, um, he always seems to be injured. Um, he had a, he had a pretty good for, for rookie season. Um, but then, um, he had like 29 points in 78 games. That's not too bad. Um, but then like towards, then after a while, he just started getting more and more injured. Um, I think his, his best season though was in 2015, 2016, where he had, uh, um, what was that his best season? Actually, never mind. His best season was last, uh, two years ago in 2017, 2018, where he f- played a full season, um, where he had about 30 points, he had 29 points, um, in 82 games. Um, he's a, he's a pretty good defenseman, so he could kind of solidify, uh, the Blackhawks back end, um, if, um, if he remains healthy, of course. Um, that's always going to be a big issue with Olimata. Um, but Dominic Cahoon goes to Pittsburgh. Um, he, he was, um, he was interesting too, cause he had 37 points in 30, um, in 82 games this year for Chicago. Um, and he didn't even have that much ice time to begin with. Um, so this guy could like, so if you bring this with a guy, like if you put this, He's like already like their second best uh, winger, 
Um, Jake Gensel, of course, is their their best winger. So it's um, it's an interesting prospect for the Penguins because um, I could see this in a couple of years where like um, this could be like a good deal for both teams, but um, I feel like in a couple of years like Cahoon may be the better player than Olimata, um, just in terms of health reasons. Yeah. Um... We'll stick with the Pittsburgh tree before oh, yeah. we get uh, to mine and what he brings to the Hawks. But uh, you, you're right about uh, Dominic Cahoon. Like, this is a 23-year-old guy. Um, only co- doesn't even cost a million next year. At 23 years old, he had 13 goals and 24 assists, 137 shots as a rookie. Um, we talk about the Penguins as a team that really needs speed on the wing. And they tried that with Haglin. Obviously, didn't work out. They swapped him for Pearson. That didn't work out because they swapped him for Gabranson. Um, maybe they're hoping that this is a guy that provides speed on the wing and gets a bunch of points. Um, and you look at what he did with Chicago. You know, that's relatively decent. His two-way game is is also pretty good, which, you know, also helps Pittsburgh's cause. They also have Teddy Bluger, who had a good showing at the World Hockey Championships. Uh, Cahoon himself had five points in eight games with Germany at the same tournament. Um, less term, very cheap price, very good for the Penguins. Mata wasn't a very physical player to begin with. Neither is this guy. So as far as physicality, they don't win or lose there. Um, I also think this allows young guys like Yuso Rikola and Marcus Peterson to get more ice time next year, particularly Peterson, who, who uh, kind of grew into his own a little bit uh, once um, once uh, the Penguins traded Sprong to the Ducks and got him in return. I, I, I think that kind of bodes well for, for Peterson to get more ice time with Madagon. Uh, getting back to Oli Mata, Never hit 30 points once in his NHL career. Like you said, there were two occasions where he had 29 points. Um, He's only surpassed the 100-shot plateau on two occasions. His career high was in 2017-18 when he had 164. Played in less than 70 games three times already. Only had 60 games played this past year. Um, There was one season where he had seven points in 55 games. I believe that was the second of back-to-back titles for Pittsburgh. He can log a decent amount of minutes, yes, but you're right about his health. It's kind of the main weakness there. It, it could it could make a bit of a difference on the Blackhawks' uh, back end because say what you will about Keith and Seabrook, but you look at someone like Eric Gustafson who had a 60-point season out of nowhere. He's shown a bit of promise there. They have Yoki Hairu in the mix. They have Adam Bjorkvist in the mix. Now they have Oli Mata. It'll be interesting to see what they select with their uh, number three pick, if they take Bowen Byram or they take someone like uh, Cole Caulfield or Dylan Cousins to help bolster their offense. There's a lot of options for them to choose on Friday, but um, it'll be interesting to see if this trade affects their decision of who they take at number three and, and maybe... Maybe this is a decision that kind of foreshadowed what they were going to do on Friday, but I, I guess we'll see. Um, the one thing that does concern me about Mata is, you're right, his term. Um, over $4 million per year for the next three years, and on July 7th, 2020, he's got an 18-no-trade clause that kicks in, too. So um, definitely more term going to a Chicago team that 
if there's one thing we all know, um, the cap issue remains their biggest one. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, no, that's a good point, I guess. We'll we'll see what the um, the Blackhawks do at number three. Um, it should be interesting, especially with with the deal they just made here. So we'll yeah we'll see. Um, yeah, um, I think that's about it. That covers it. Um, yeah. There's uh, I just got this. Uh, I have a couple of tweets. Uh, I just added one tweet because I was looking while you were talking. Um, yeah. Greg Wyshynski of ESPN says, asked a source close to Eric Carlson about how the Sharks sold him on re-signing, and then Eric Carlson, or the guy says, the source says, San Jose sells itself, was the response. So, um, so I think, uh, I guess they liked San Jose a lot. Um, but yeah. I think, I think the fact that Melinda wanted to be closer to home was the only thing kind of setting themselves apart. I, I, I think... San Jose really treated the Carlson family very well. They've been nothing short of supportive to them. I think it was just the comforts of home, if that was going to be enough to kind of veer them away. But um, I, I, I thought they were going to find a way to make this work with Eric Carlson, and it appears that they have. So good on the Sharks. But uh, like you said, it'll be interesting to see uh, what uh, they do after this because it no doubt affects uh, their game plan for how they shape the rest of their roster. Yeah, and of course we'll have more details when it's officially out next yeah. week. Um, also, uh, uh, Steve alluded to this um, uh, during the last topic, but uh, where you know the drafts this Friday, it's going to be this weekend. Um, interest I mean we're not draft guys so much so we didn't really have a preview or anything like that but um, I think we didn't we do like a we did a mock draft or the top 10 last year or something like that but anyways yeah. we didn't we didn't do it this year just because uh, we had a lot of other stuff to talk about but um, I do want to mention that because I've been doing draft prep for my dynasty league um, yeah and I noticed there's a lot of Americans that are gonna be um, uh, like taken in the top t- 15, let's say. Um, Jack Hughes, of course. Uh, you mentioned Cole Caulfield, Matthew Boldy, uh, Trevor Zegris, uh, Alex Turcotte, um, Cole Caulfield, as you mentioned, um, Cam York um, could be uh, 15, Spencer Knight. I didn't even realize just from the name of this that he's American because I thought he would be like Russian or something. But Arthur Kaliev is also an American, so um, I'm I'm just happy for the Americans to. Uh, this seems like it's going to be the the thing. Um, of course, like Capo Caco is fin- Finnish, and Cousins and Dak Kirby Dak are Canadian, um, as well as Pod Colson is Russian, but. And Byram is Canadian as well, but um, it does seem like there's a lot more Americans in like uh, in the top of the um, the draft list this year, which is uh, kind of interesting because um, yep, the USA is sort of taking over. I don't want to officially say that they've officially taken over, but I am excited that there's a lot of new Americans who are. Um, going to be drafted this year. 
I will say one thing. Um, I'm interested to see where Peyton Krebs is taken yep. because if you remember a couple of years, uh, not a couple of years ago, a couple of weeks ago, he suffered a significant injury that's probably going to keep him out for a couple of months. Yep. Uh, I'm interested to see how that affects his draft stock and how low he goes and where he gets taken. Um, I think he's still going to offer a lot to whoever takes him, but um, I think there are going to be a lot of teams that are going to be thinking mm, he could be a late first round, early second round draft choice. So I'm in, I'm interested to see um, how the injury affects his draft stock. But uh, that that's that's one of many storylines we tabs on and should be an interesting draft. For I sure. just realized that since Eric Carlson resigned with the Sharks, doesn't that mean that you guys get a draft pick? Oh. Yes, it is does. That right? Thanks for reminding me. That just uplifted my spirits. <laughs> is that right? I think you guys. Is, yeah, is, we, I, I forget if it's this. Best. I forget if it's this draft or if it's next year. I think it might be next draft because aren't they giving okay. Buffalo already a first round pick? Oh, for Vander, Vander King. King uh, that might be okay. It's something. Yeah, yeah okay. maybe, well, you might be right. the line, Ottawa's getting a first round draft pick. Yeah, right? yeah. I just remembered that. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, speaking of which, like, both, I mean, Bruins have a, the 30th pick and the Senators have the, wherever the Columbus Blue Jackets are picking. Um, I think so, it's 18th. 18th. Okay, so that's not bad. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, I wonder where Bowen Byram is going to go because uh, it seems like he's the only, like, top elite defenseman that um, in this draft year. Um, and I like, you know, sh with this trade with Chicago made, I, I, and they also have Yoki Yaru. Um, they had a uh, Bodine last year, um, as well as uh, Bogfist. Um, so I feel like they're set with defensemen. So I'm not sure if they'll go there. And then Colorado. Yeah, I, I, feel like, I feel like with Bowen Byram, it's not going to be a debate of, is this kid talented enough? It's yeah. just like, what's our positional need? What do we need right now? For sure. I think if he's still around by the time Detroit picks, they'll take him, That's and they the should, because they need young defensemen. Yeah, I could see that. Um, I believe, so, and the fourth is uh, Colorado, and they yeah. could, I mean, they do have Kale McCarr in this system, but... <laughs> Like if they get Byram as well, that's that's a pretty good duo, um, yeah. for sure. So, um, and the Kings could use uh could use him. I think they're fifth. So uh, I would be surprised if he goes that far to Detroit. But uh, well, yeah. We'll see, see, that's the thing because they also need goal scoring, and if Cole Caulfield's on the board, I think they're more likely to take him than Byron. So again, another reason why this could be a very interesting draft because yeah. there are a lot of unknowns when it comes to draft free yeah, and I think with the power of hindsight, it's gonna be a, yeah. a lot more interesting debate because you know there 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 could be a some cases where you know the right players up for them, but they take someone else and just going. Yeah. Uh, that a good idea yeah i feel like yeah no that, that is a good point because i feel like you know other than the first two which is it's going to be jack hughes going to the devils and then kako going to the rangers like everything else seems to be fair game um <clears throat> in that regard but like even like kako and jack hughes a lot of people are saying that kako might like 
could be better than Jack Hughes. Yeah, I um, think so, there's a chance he could go first overall. I'm not yeah, as I'm not as sold so, on Hughes getting first overall with the way Kako played, but. I mean, I was looking here. Jack Hughes has like had seventy assists this year, um, which is absurd. I know. There's a lot of hype to Jack Hughes, but <laughs> like, Kako was like playing. I know. I mean, Kako is pretty good too, obviously, but it's just uh, like it's hard to pass up on Jack Hughes. Um, I know. Like yeah. it was, it was a slam dunk contest. That would be Jack Hughes at the start of the season. It's not a slam dunk anymore. There's yeah. still a chance. I'll I, agree I think there's. A bigger chance than there was certainly at the start of the season that Kako could go first, but you never know. Um, yeah, we'll see. Um, anyways, it will be fun. Uh, we should we'll have we'll have you covered on draft stuff. We'll probably have two episodes next week, uh, yeah. one for the draft stuff and one for everything else that happened um this week. Um, yeah. All right. Um, I'll I oh right social media. Um. Twitter is Lace Up Lace and Podcast. Our uh, Facebook is Lace Them Up. Uh, you're listening to this on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify. Uh, follow us there. Um, and yeah, that's it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 177 of the Lace Them Up podcast.